0: About 10 years ago, my wife gave birth to a child who wasn't breathing. The most terrifying moment of my life. Child came forth on July the 12th, 2007. Baby came out, not making a noise. Panic and fear filled the room. The doctor grabbed the baby and immediately began working, grabbed his tools and instruments and just began working on this young child. And within a matter of moments, in what felt like an eternity, I heard the most beautiful scream from my son, Noah. There's something about the moment when the, a child comes forth that you know that a miracle has happened. It is significant. When a, a little baby comes forth, you're just like, man, this is incredible. I mean, there's no way that this is, this is man's work. God is all over this moment. And it happens all day, every day, all over the world. But did you know that an even greater miracle is happening all day, every day, all over the world? I've seen it happen in Belizean citrus fields and on the African savannah. I've seen God do it in college campuses and in playgrounds, in rooms just like this, around kitchen tables and factories and office complexes. It's right now, it's happening in underground China, in the bustling cities of India and on the roadsides of Europe. And this miraculous event that is happening all day, every day, all over the world is men and women, boys and girls who are being born again. And there's nothing more important than this. This is the pinnacle. This is the apex. It's far more important than your football team, far more important than your Instagram or Facebook. It's far more important than your job, your retirement, or your major, your kids, or your family, because what you do with this truth not only dictates where you will be in five years, but in five million years. And the call of the gospel is where God is inviting his people to trust in his son. And when you believe the gospel, it is then that you are born again. That is the truth that Simon Peter is driving home to first century believers who are facing persecution. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're Going through a sermon series as a church entitled Imperishable. And we're walking through this letter of Peter, the Simon Peter who spent time with Jesus, his disciple, the apostle, the one whom God used to preach the gospel at Pentecost. And he's writing this letter to encourage believers who are about to suffer significant persecution for the sake of the gospel. And as he's writing this letter from Rome and sending it to churches that are scattered all throughout modern-day Turkey, he's seeking to encourage them to remain faithful. He calls them elect exiles, chapter 1, verse 1, who are on the brink of suffering for their faith in Jesus. Last week, we looked at all that God has done for us in the gospel, on how the Father and the Son and the Spirit all work together to bring you and I into a personal relationship with himself. Now this morning the big truth that we see here in the text is that we have been born again. Peter is focusing now on the rebirth that has happened for those who call upon the Lord. Look with me at 1st Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 3. Peter writes, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope" After his introduction in verses 1 and 2, Peter launches into the body of his letter with a word about worship. Verse 3, he's giving God the glory. He writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's declaring adoration and praise to God. Well, why is he doing that? He tells us in verse 3 that according to God's mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, don't miss this overarching truth. This is essential. Entrance into the kingdom of God starts with being born again. You see, rebirth is the starting point to coming into the kingdom. Now, this phrase born again didn't originate with Peter. It actually originated with Jesus. In John chapter 3, Jesus has a late night conversation with the Pharisee whose name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is interested in having a theological discussion, not realizing that he's talking to the Lord God Almighty who's right there in his presence. And in John chapter 3, he's praising Jesus, saying, You're a great teacher. I love the miracles that you do. There's no question that you come from God. But then Jesus turns it around. And in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, You cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is giving Nicodemus the prerequisite to gain access into the kingdom. And he is boldly declaring that for anyone to get into the kingdom, you must be born again. When I was going through college and Chris and I were, were newlyweds, I got a job working at a bank to try and help make ends meet for us. And I had all kinds of keys that came with my job. I had this uh, little swipe card that would hold on my belt, had my face on it. And I would swipe it and it would give me access into the bank. They also gave me a key. And this key that they gave me gave me access into the vault. Once I was inside the vault, I then would type in a number code that would give me access to the money that I would be using for that day. Well, just as that key card and the key and the passcode were the resources I had available to give me access to what I needed, the same is true for the gospel. Jesus is saying, here's the key code, here's the password, this is the key. Be born again. If you want to come into my kingdom, if you want to come be a part of what God is doing in and through me in this new kingdom that's greater than anything this world has to offer, you must be born again well, Kenneth, how in the world can I be born again? The answer is to believe the gospel. It means to turn away from your sin and to trust in Jesus, to believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again on the third day, and he is risen, he is ruling, he is reigning over all things. You bank your soul upon the work of Jesus Christ for you. And the moment you believe. That is when you are born again. Now, Westwood as a church, that's what we're about. Our mission is to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. The Great Commission is the call that God places upon his people to go give out this passcode, to go pass out keys. It's not a secret that you're trying to hide. Just like you don't want your kids to know the password to your phone and you don't want like the bad guys to know the access to your email or to your online banking. Those are passwords you keep to yourself. Well, this one we share. We want the whole world to know the access. You can come into the kingdom, get in here. You have, you're welcome. But the way you come in is you must be born again. There must be a spiritual transformation that takes place. And the way that the gospel goes out, God's design is the local church to be the vehicle through which the gospel is spread to the ends of the earth. And the moment that churches stop sharing the gospel is the moment that churches begin to die. Westwood, we are going to continue to play offense with the gospel. We need to see every person in Shelby County given the opportunity to hear the gospel so that they can be born again. And this this gospel isn't just to be proclaimed here locally. We've got to take it globally. We want the name of Jesus to go far and wide. And so God has entrusted his gospel not to just a few people, but to the entire church. All of us are called to go live on mission, to share the good news of Jesus. If you have friends and family, co-workers and teammates that you want to come into the kingdom, you've got to open your mouth and share the good news of the gospel. And the good news as we see later on in John chapter 3 verse 16, it's for everybody. For God so loved the world. It's open up to everybody, and God includes you and I to be a part of the process of preaching the gospel, and when we open our mouths, the Spirit then takes our words and uses them to bring people into the kingdom when they are born again. Now, this phrase born again, it really kind of perplexed Nicodemus. This is a word where he didn't quite understand. In John chapter 3, verse 4, he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see, Nicodemus was confused. He was thinking of rebirth being a physical deal, like you go back up inside your mom's belly and you come back out. And I'm like, that's just weird. There's not a new birthday; that's happened. You got one birth. Nicodemus is like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Like a a rebirth? That's this is crazy talk. It's impossible with man. That's the point. It's not something you can do. Jesus there is talking about a spiritual transformation, a spiritual rebirth. It's not a physical deal where you're doing religious works on the outside. No, 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 no. Jesus wants your heart. And when he has your heart, it's through the heart that he can now go do everything on the outside. He's saying, Nicodemus, it's not about a physical transformation, it's a spiritual transformation that takes place in the heart. And when you believe the gospel, he changes everything about you. That you were dead in your sins and trespasses, Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, he saved you and bought you with the precious blood of Jesus. You and I, we were blinded, but we saw the light in the glory of Jesus Christ. We were in the dark, but then 2 Corinthians 4, God shined the light in our hearts so that we could see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. It's amazing, God opens our eyes so we can understand the gospel and it happens the moment you first believe. And when you come to Christ, that is when a miracle has, happens. It has happened. Here's the deal, if you're a follower of Jesus, You've experienced a miracle. Don't ever get over that because there's, here's here's the deal. There's no such thing as a boring testimony. Okay, there's no such thing as a boring resurrection. You were dead and now you are alive. God has changed your heart. You're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. You are now hidden in Christ. You're alive in Christ. You're no longer walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. God has transformed your heart. You've experienced the miracle of rebirth. And it happens for all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you've not given your life to him, I want to invite you, put your faith in Jesus. He came and bled and died on the cross, and he rose again to give you new life. Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus by faith. Trust him, and when you first believe, that is when you are born again. If you're watching online and you're saying, I, I need to make this decision, I need to make this commitment, then you can do it right here, right now, right where you are. You turn away from your sin and you trust in Jesus. Call out to him in faith and he will receive you. You see, that's the good news of the gospel. And it's open to everybody. You don't have to try and get yourself cleaned up and say, man, I gotta start looking right and get some things cleaned up in my life. Jesus says, no, 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 you get in here. I'll clean you up. You just focus on coming to me. Now, I'll take care of all the dirt and the mess and the shame and the sin. I'll take care of all of that. You come here. You see, that's an access that we have afforded to us in the gospel, is that when you believe upon Jesus, it is then that you are born again, and he cleanses us of our sin. He forgives us of all unrighteousness. He promises us eternal life. It's amazing the work that he provides for us in the gospel. And yet, to keep us humble, and to display his glory and power, notice in the text, who does the work? Verse three, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Don't miss this. Just as you cannot take credit for your physical birth, you cannot take credit for your spiritual rebirth. can't take credit for it. It's all a work of God. It's all that God has done for you. You see, God does not give us what we deserve, okay, mercy, and then He gives us what we don't deserve, grace, the two things come together at the cross, and God provides it for those who call upon his name. And it's all the work that he has done. He has caused you to be born again. He initiates it, he fulfills it, and he will bring it to completion. You see, rebirth means that when you trust in Jesus, he changes your heart forever. And then once your heart's been changed, your life has changed. When Christy and I first got married, we spent some time in Kenya just preaching the gospel and taking students on mission trips there. And it's an incredible culture. But while we were there, we discovered that there's a cultural distinction within that context between someone who's a Christian and someone who is born again. A Christian in that culture is someone who goes to church sometimes, their parents or grandparents claim the name of Jesus. And so I'm not Muslim, so I am Christian. That's the idea. But he doesn't have Lord, lordship over my life. I've not surrendered my life to him. There's no spiritual transformation. As opposed to someone who is born again, this is someone whose heart has been transformed by the gospel. They believe upon Jesus. They're banking their eternity upon Jesus. So we were outside of Nairobi one day, and I was talking with this guy, and I said, hey, man, are you a Christian? Yes. And I said, are you born again? No. And I asked him, well, why, why is that? And he says, I, I don't know. And I began to share the gospel with this guy. Hey, man, here's what Christ has done. Man, would you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus? And when you trust, that's when you can be born again. And he says, I'm not ready. You see, he was so wrapped up in alcohol and the party life, and he was like, I, I know that for me to be born again, I've got to be willing to give all of this stuff up. And I'm like, man, oh, man, come on, don't, don't do this. Man, turn from your sin and trust in, trust in Jesus. I didn't get to lead him to Christ. I've been praying for him. But in their culture, there's that distinction. Well, I think here in the South, we need to make sure that we, in our communication and in our terminology, have to be really clear. Because almost everybody I talk to is a Christian. Even though our life doesn't reflect Jesus. It's cultural Christianity, not a personal relationship. And so there's, there's a distinction. There's something different. That's oftentimes I rarely use the word Christian. I use the word Christ follower or a follower of Jesus. Because I want to distinguish between the two. Because someone who claims the name of Jesus lives for Jesus. Not because they have to, but because they want to. They desire to. Why? Because they have been born again. That's what happens when you believe the gospel. Jesus is Lord over all of your life, and it's not a burden, it's a joy. And yet whatever phrase or name we're going to call it, we need to make sure we're just abundantly clear on this, is that you're saying my sin was nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. I've been set free. I've been forgiven in Christ. And I'm now walking in the victory. I've been set free. I have been born again through the work of the Spirit. God is the one who has saved you. And when you believe upon the gospel, don't miss this, when you understand, when you know what God has done for you through Jesus, it compels you to a greater love and passionate worship of him. Because when you meet Jesus, man, your heart overflows with love. And no love for God, but love for people. And it's a love that just continues to grow. And then, You have this passion for worship. You want to make much of him. You're able to declare with Simon Peter in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship overflows out of your heart because he has changed your heart through the spirit. Now, God could have saved us and that be enough, right? Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and take away your sin. I'm going to take hell off the table. No condemnation, Romans 8, 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to take judgment off the table because your sin was judged at the cross, okay? I'm going to take away sin, hell, judgment, condemnation. Those things are now gone. That's enough, right? God says, I've got more. God is generous, and he has benefits, that he wants to give to you on top of your salvation. I wanna show you three benefits that he provides for us, and they're right here in the text. He generously, graciously gives us these benefits to display his glory and power. The first is this. The first benefit is that you have a living hope. Verse three, you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Simon Peter here, he's connecting living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, don't don't miss this. Verse 3, he's referencing an historical event. He's referencing the resurrection of Jesus as a fact. It has happened. Well, how does he know this? Well, Simon Peter was in the tomb. Simon Peter had breakfast with the resurrected Christ. Simon Peter saw Jesus ascend up into heaven and sit down at the right hand of God the Father. You have in your lap a first-hand eyewitness account of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? Like you've got, hey man, if I could just talk to somebody who was there at the resurrection to prove that it was true, you do. It's in your lap. Read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. He's telling you, this has happened. I met the resurrected Christ. I ate food with him. I spent time with him. I saw him perform miracles after his resurrection. In fact, according to 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus spent 40 days appearing to many, many people, including 500 people all at once, to prove that he was risen. And here Simon Peter is taking this historical event of the resurrection and he's connecting it to us. That in Christ we have a living hope. A hope that is based upon the fact that Jesus is alive. Now this hope is not like a a hopeful optimism, like, man, I hope this works out. Kind of like, man, I hope I win Publisher's Clearing House. Like, that would be great, even though I haven't applied for it. I'm not, I just, if they could just show up one day, I hope that happens. You know, I, I, I hope that one day Kentucky football wins the national championship. All right? <laughs> well, but let's be serious. <laughs> it's never going to happen, right? That's not the type of hope that he's referencing here. He is talking about a convictional confidence about the future, it's not a dead hope, it's a living hope. And it's a living hope because Christ is risen. You see, Easter is celebrated every day for the believer who has been born again. Because the resurrection has everything to do with your life. Because you know you're hidden in Christ, because he has died, because he has risen, you now have purpose for your life. You can look forward. Fear's off the table. There's no, more, no, no longer this fear of what's the future going to hold for me? What's the future going to hold for my family? What's going to happen to our community? The Lord says, don't worry about that because you have a living hope. This is the type of living hope, which is the only way that the Apostle Paul could say in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can death be gained only if what is next is better than what you have right now? And right now, Simon Peter says you have a living hope. And it's based upon the fact that Jesus' body is not still in a tomb outside of Jerusalem, He is alive, He is risen five times Peter uses this word hope in his letter and he's pointing these Christians who are suffering for the gospel and he's pointing them to a better future he's whetting their appetite he's putting anticipation in their hearts for those who are growing weary with the burdens of this world what about you are you discouraged are you dismayed are you weary and exhausted and defeated you see This week I was reading Psalm 42 and 43, and this psalm writer was in the doldrums. I mean, just a deep, dark depression. And he begins writing there in both of those psalms, he says this, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. You see, when you are feeling blue, don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. I will trust in you, Lord. You are my rock and my refuge. You are the one whom I love. And when you find your heart trending towards depression, trending towards discouragement, trending in the direction that you emotionally don't need to go, hope in God. Preach to yourself, Jesus is risen. He is alive. And I have a reason to face tomorrow. I have a living hope in Jesus Christ. That's the point he's driving home here. And this is good news for us. You hope in the Lord. And what's so good is that Jesus is sitting on his throne in absolute sovereign control. He's not wringing his hands worried about ISIS He's not checking his Fox News update, worried about what's coming next. He is seated on the throne, and he is doing fine. Rest in him. You see, as these first century believers were suffering and they were facing persecution, Peter is directing their gaze to the future. He's like, listen, the next 100 years, they're going to be really, really bad, But the next 100 million, they look really, really good. And if you're at a point where you just can only see right here, like, man, my my situation is just not good. I'm not sure how we're going to make it. Like, I have no reason to have confidence or joy or hope about the future. You're too short-sighted. Look beyond. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father, ruling and reigning. You can trust him. And because Jesus is alive, you have a living hope. The second benefit that he provides for us here in the text is that being born again means you have an eternal reward. Verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you you were born again to an inheritance this inheritance is a reference to a future eternal reward that's coming for all who believe the gospel now in the old testament when an inheritance is brought off brought up it's frequently a reference to land primarily or specifically the promised land as you read the book of exodus the book of joshua the book of deuteronomy you see this anticipation this longing for the promised land well in the same way just as israel was anticipating and longing for a land that was flowing with milk and honey you and i are called to anticipate to long for our inheritance but our inheritance is not found on this side of the grave. There are a plethora of false teachers who will tell you, You can name it and claim it. You can have it good and have it now. Well, if that's true, then the Apostle Paul is the worst Christian who ever lived. You see, suffering is a mark of what it means to belong to Jesus, it means that you're a son. The blessings that God provides for us, you're not going to get your inheritance on this side of the grave. In fact, Peter tells us verse four, where it is. Look at this X. It is kept in heaven for you. And this inheritance that God has promised to His children, it's so great, it's almost like Peter struggles to identify the right words to describe how great it is. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. Okay, it's, it's permanent, it's, it's pure, it's perpetual. In fact, this word imperishable is where we got our theme for the sermon series. It means that in Christ, as somebody who's been born again, you possess something that can never be taken away from you. You can't, because you have Jesus. And the point that Peter's driving home is that you have something that will never be taken away from you. You have an inheritance. Don't miss this. In Christ, you have a greater inheritance than Bill Gates could ever provide. Don't miss that. How is this possible? It's possible because Jesus shed his blood to make you an heir. You're an heir. And the Spirit himself, he reminds you that your name is in the will. Paul says it like this in Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Listen, if your inheritance is in this world, it's going to fade, it's going to rust, it's going to spoil, it can be stolen, and you can't take it with you. But if your inheritance is in heaven with Christ, it will not fade, it will not spoil, it will not perish, it will not be taken, and it will endure forever. You have an inheritance with Christ. In Christ, you are an heir to the king and he will one day bequeath to his family an eternal reward. Third and finally, we see a benefit of being born again is future protection. Verse five says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This word guarded here it means to protect. It means you're under the watch, under military guard. The word carries the idea of a military escort who is guarding and protecting civilians and taking them to a safe place. You see, God is in his power. He is protecting you. He's escorting you to safety. So at the end of time, verse 5, when when everything is done, when God blows the whistle and calls us all out of the pool, when everything is finished and done at that moment, God is going to personally ensure that you are brought to safety at that moment. It's the idea of a military escort who says, we're going to take these civilians from this place to this place, and we're going to make sure that nothing happens to them. Well, God himself is saying, I am going to see to it through my power to see that you are guarded, you are kept safe all the way to the end. So that when that day comes and you stand before me, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to keep you, I'm going to guard you, verse 5, through faith. You see, future glory is coming for believers, and God's power will ensure that you get there safely. There are tender moments that take place when a baby is born. You lay down on the bed and, or the couch, and you just just hold that child. And after the parents have gone home, or grandparents have gone home, friends are gone, it's just you and the child. You remember those moments where you just begin speaking blessing? I love you so much. You have a family. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna make sure that you're always taken care of. I'm yours. Uh, you, you have an inheritance that's coming. I, my life is now committed to you. Well, the moment that you believe the gospel, the moment you came to Christ, the Father himself pulls you in and says, welcome to the family. I'm yours. You have an inheritance that's coming. You're a part of a big family. You have no reason to ever fear again. I'm gonna be with you forever. I've got your back. I'm gonna protect you. Welcome to the family. You have been born again.